Well, good morning. Hey, Scott. Um, and St. Patrick's Day for those of you that South by Southwest on St. Patrick's Day. What, what could possibly go right? <clears throat> if you'll turn into uh, your Bibles to Luke chapter 15, we'll be studying that passage again. We're in the last week of our series called uh, Perspective. Here's how we started with this passage in Peter. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world and all time. Do you believe that? Do you believe there is a personality, uh, not just evil in spirit, but a personality of spirit, a devil, Satan, and he hates you. He hates you. He hates me. And he's, look at the vivid language here. He's a predator. He's a carnivore. He wants to eat us. Do you believe that? The series has been about opening our eyes to another realm, a spiritual realm in our lives that we realize we're not alone here and our battle is not really about flesh and blood, is it? When we talk about winning and, 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 and breaking out of strongholds or even defeating the enemy in our everyday lives, it, there's actually a, a simple way of doing that. I mean, it's not, it's not the only way, but it is a way and it's a simple way. And let me just tell you a little game I used to play that helps illustrate this. When I was a child, I grew up in a neighborhood where we must have had a 10 or 15 guys, just boys. And they were all about the same age. And in the summertime, we played a game at night called flashlight tag. I think we invented it. I don't know. You might know the game. But the person that was it would sit on the curb, close his eyes, and count to 50. He's holding a flashlight. It's off. And everybody else, those other 10 or 12 kids, are across the street, and they're hiding under cars and behind poles and behind an air conditioner compressor or under a car or whatever it takes. You know, what? And then after 50, he opens his eyes, turns on the flashlight, and then looking around, and he hits you with the light, right? He shines the light, calls you out, and then you have to come and sit on the curb. You're done for the game. That's flashlight tag. Well, with, in, in the area of two realms, so much of our battle is just a perspective, just an insight that there is a spiritual war going on for our souls. And if we could just shine the light on that, call it out, put it on the curb where it belongs, shine the light on it, bring truth to the lie. Call it out. We have the authority of Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God that indwells in our souls. And then to, to tell it to stay there and sit on the curb till the next go around. Right? We can see this has been my experience just doing this series. I have become much more insightful when rogue thoughts get into my mind and I can't shut them down, or emotional volatility that comes from, seems like out of nowhere. It didn't come out of nowhere. Shine the light on it. Call it out. Put it on the curb where it belongs. And sometimes even circumstances, particularly when there's something spiritually significant at stake. The, the, the point in the, of, of the series, of this perspective, is to at least draw attention to that. That the devil has schemes. He has targets. He has ambition. He goes after freedom and life and relationships, marriages and friendships, anything beautiful. He goes after peace, rest, music. He wants to destroy all things good. And if we see that, we can shine the light on that. We can call it out. We can tell it to sit on the curb. That's what we're trying to do. Now, in the last two weeks, we've been looking at strongholds particularly. In uh, the idea of being in, in spiritual bondage of some kind. Now, that can happen to us quite easily if we're a victim of evil, and, but that has not been our focus. It is, it is what has been our focus in these, this last week and this week is, is being in bondage because we have ignored our bent. In other words, not part of the design, but part of our production where something was wrong with us, and it will be wrong with us until we meet our maker, until we're glorified, until our grave. 
and we're going to find ourselves particularly bent or easy to fall into temptations. And this kind of stronghold happens now, listen, because we choose repetitiously again and again to entertain that bent, to meditate on those weaknesses, and to allow the, the, a stronghold to be found in lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life. Those three general categories are easy ways to find where our bent might be. And we've been studying this idea of <clears throat> ignoring our bent and finding a stronghold and looking at a famous parable that you might know. Jesus tells the story of the prodigal sons. Two different sons, one perfect father. Two different bents. Both boys ignore that and actually entertain it and they find themselves in two different strongholds. Now, last week we looked at the younger son, and he was bent towards lust of the eyes and lust of the flesh. This week we're going to look at the older brother, the pride of life. The reason, the reason Jesus tells this parable is because of the older son. That's the focus of it. He's in a room full of older sons. That's why we need to learn from this, this other kind of stronghold. I'll just read it to you. It's in Luke chapter 15. We'll look at the details in a moment. There's a man who had two sons. The younger one said to the father, Father, give me my share of this estate. And, and, and the father does. He divides the property between the two boys. And not long after that, the younger son got gathered together all that he had and set off for a distant country. And there he squandered all of that wealth on wild living. And after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine over the whole country, and he began to be in need. And so he went out to hire himself out to the citizens of that foreign country, and, and he, he could only find a job feeding pigs. And then it got so bad that he longed to fill his own stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, and yet no one would give him even, those, even that pig food. And then he came to his senses, and he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death? I will set out, and I'll go back to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Just, just make me like one of your hired servants. And so he got up and went back to the father. But while it was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion him. And so he ran to the son and he threw his arms around him and he kissed him. And then the son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. No, 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 no. Stop talking. But the father said to the son, quick, bring me my best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and his sandals on his feet. Bring me the fatted calf and have him slaughtered. Let's feast. Let's have a celebration. For this son of mine was dead, and now he's alive. He was lost, and now he's found. Therefore, they began to celebrate. That's a great story. Curtains down, lights up, everybody applauses, good times. I love a happy story. This is a hallmark story. This is not a hallmark story because Jesus doesn't end it there. That's the point. Meanwhile, meanwhile, the older son was in the field. He came near the house and he heard the music and all the dancing. And so he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied. And your father has killed the fatted calf because of it, that he was back and he's safe and he's sound. And so we're all celebrating. And the older brother became angry and refused to go inside. And so the father went out to him and pleaded with him. But he answered his father and said, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes, he comes home and you kill the fatted calf for him? My son, said the father, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours, he was dead and now he's alive. He was lost and now he's found. This older son 
He's in prison. He's in a prison of his own making. He's in a stronghold of self-righteousness. And if you look at the context of this story, Jesus is in a room full of older brothers. And they're mad at Jesus for going and looking for the younger brothers of the world. That's why he tells the story. What's an older son? <clears throat> a little older son, he, he's, he's a Bible study leader. Oh, yeah, yeah. He has a big crowd. They're usually pretty good at what they do. They're mentors involved in the synagogue. He, he, they know all about God. They can tell you all the facts. They know all the stories. They don't have a relationship with God. They work for him. They, they just work a lot for him. Not, they don't have a heart for God. How do you know if you have a heart for God, if you have a relationship with God versus just, you're just working for God? Here's the key. When your soul is in sync with the soul of God, when your emotions, your feelings are running in a parallel path with the emotions of God. You feel what he feels. So you're just reading through the Bible and you see when, when, when God becomes righteously angry, you are finding yourself angry in the same way. You read another story and you, it says, and it grieved the heart of God and you've already begun weeping yourself. And then in this case, when you see God celebrate unspeakable joy, you're dancing already. But this, this, this is the sound of a stronghold. But he answered his father and said, look, all these years I've been slaving for you, and I never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me young goats so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fatted calf. This is no fleeting temptation. This is not a spontaneous off the cuff. This is seething self-righteousness. This is a bent that this boy has had his whole life, and he has fed it, nursed it, fertilized it, watered it, sheltered it, and now it enslaves him. He's in bondage to this. How, how desperate, how strong must this prison be for him to be able to not go into a banquet hall while his family is celebrating, to stay outside with his arms folded and be indignant, and then to say these words? <laughs> this is not a knee-jerk event. This is a culmination. He's been working at this bondage. Sin is crouching at your door. This bent. And it is, its desire is to own you. If you don't enslave it, it will enslave you. This is the pride of life. See if any of it rings true in your life. Look at these attributes. Anger, jealousy, envious, self-pity, bitter, resentful, a complaining spirit, ingratitude. Listen for that. And then finally, isolated. There it is. That's the goal. We talked about how the devil wants you isolated, put over here all by yourself where you can be destroyed. He isolates himself from the father, from God. This son of yours, this son of yours, by saying that phrase, he's not just isolating himself and just cutting himself off from the thing the father loves so very much. He's cutting himself off from the very heart of the father. From, from, he's cutting himself off from the, his relationship with the father. He isolates himself from others. Everyone else is inside having a celebration for a good thing, and he'll have nothing to do with that. Self-righteous people that are enslaved to that, they isolate themselves from others. They either won't associate with some people because they're busy judging them and those people are not worthy, or the people that used to be their friends got tired of being judged by them and don't, just don't need it anymore. The application here is, is, does that list, does that look like freedom? 
It does not. That's bondage. And, and this is a person that is in, surrounded by and held back. It, this is not a weakness. I, I'm emphasizing that. This is permission continuously to entertain that bent. This is a person whose identity is built upon some moral code of conduct that, they, that they're keeping because they helped write it. And it's important to know that. It, this, is, this is the bondage or the stronghold of entitlement. I did this, you owe me that. And you can see the self-righteous, the, the, the kind of the Pharisee in the context here is the motive of obedience is, is you obligate God. I'm this good moral person, so you need to answer my prayers. I should have a prosperous life. I've been a good boy. I want a good girl to marry. You should provide that for me. They, people in this, in this model of, of this self-righteousness, they don't obey because the Father enjoys that. They don't obey because they find themselves becoming like Christ in all of life. They don't do it because it delights the Lord. They resemble the Lord. They do it because they, get, they think they should get something out of that. How, how, do, you, how, do, you, how do I know this is taking place? How, does, how do you know if it's happening in your life? This is what's motivating. It's, it's kind of simple. Look at the passage where he's, he has this rage and anger. Why? Because he doesn't get what he thinks he deserves. And then he's furious that his little brother is getting something that he doesn't deserve. And that's why ingratitude and embitterment is part of the attributes of, of this self-righteous stronghold. The way they think, right? The reason that they do things. Why, why, why is he able to be so judgmental towards his brother? This is his worldview. In his head, he thinks of his brother and the other people he judges. I would never do that. I would never do such a thing, squander my wealth on prostitutes. You know what? Probably never will. Probably not part of his bent. Probably not typical of this type of personality. And so he's made the list so that he succeeds in the list. What's not on that list, right, is being a self-righteous, judgmental jerk. And, so he, and that's why he can't be friends. That's why he's isolating himself. What's interesting about this story, the second part, there's no ending to it. It's, it's just left hanging. The, the son says this to the father. The father responds, what else can we do but celebrate? And that's what, what happens next. Let's, let's end it like an American story. Let's, let's hallmark this thing, okay? Let's make it a happy ending. Let's pretend the older brother is able to learn from the younger brother. Let's apply last week's application of how to break out of a stronghold to this older brother. First thing that happens, wake up. He wakes up. He shines the light on what's going on. He calls it out for what it is, puts it on the curb. He, he realizes, he, he realizes you know, he's come to his senses. His, his dad comes out to him, and he, it breaks his heart that his father would have to humiliate himself and come out, and he just says, Dad, I'm just sorry. I'm so sorry. I can't stop this. What gives you great joy is just embittering me, and I don't know what to do anymore. I have given myself over to this so many times that I am... I need your help. I need you to pray for me. I need you to pray over me with the authority that you have to break through this stronghold. I want, I want to laugh when you laugh. I want, to, I want to shout for joy when you shout for joy. That's how he could wake up, right? That'd be a great start. His brother did that. He could do it. And then he, and then he could repent. And remember, right, confession is not the same as repentance, Confession is when you just acknowledge that, yes, I agree. Repentance is when you change your mind. And this older brother could change his mind about his behavior. Being out here, arms folded, saying what I said, it's sinful. It's from a sinful heart. He would change his mind about uh, his father. You are not unjust. You are a good, good father. And I need 
to acknowledge that. Forgive, forgive me. And I need to acknowledge that to my brother, too. I need his forgiveness. He would have to change his mind about himself, right? I, uh, he would say, I, I'm as lost as my brother was lost. I'm as sinful as my brother was. I don't love you, Dad. I look at you as a boss. And I, 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 it's wrong. I, I have to change my thinking about that. The next thing he'd have to do is reject the lies. If you're in a stronghold, if you find yourself in this spiritual bondage, there's always going to be lies that you've believed, and you have to replace those with the truth. You have to shine the light, right? call it out, and put it on the curb where it belongs. That's what he would do. It, 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 it's, it's, he'd have to do this about truth about God, right? About himself and about God. Reject these lies. Verse 29, truth about himself, lies about, right? Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. All these years, slaving, never disobeying, that's a lie. And that, my friends, by the way, is the door to the stronghold. That's the door to the prison cell that he's in. This, help, this is the common denominator in self-righteousness. According to his standards, he never disobeyed. And this is why people that are self-righteous, they live in so much bitterness, joyless lives, right? They can't celebrate. They're, in, in, they're, they're not generous. They're not grateful. And here's why. It's right here. I'm not that bad. Haven't sinned all that much. God's not that mad at me. I mean, he should be mad at you, but not at me. And so without much forgiveness, there's not much gratitude. And that's where the lie begins. I never disobeyed you all these years. He needs to attack the lies about God and replace them with the truth. Look what he says about his father, right? The God in this story. You never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But, but when this son of yours squandered your property on prostitutes, and he comes home, you get to, he kills a fatted calf for him. And so he's, he's, saying, he's saying that God is not fair. What, here's, here's what's interesting about this story. Every character in this story refers to the father as the father. Even the slave does, the son does, the narrator does. This older son never calls him father. Won't even say his name or title. And then he's, this is the nature of a self-righteous person. I want justice for them and fairness for me. And that's a lie that God is unfair. In this particular story, the facts of this story is the older son would get two-thirds of the property. He's getting two-thirds. Every day he spends time with the father. He gets the father's presence. That's what it says in the passage. He gets the father's love. The fact of the matter is in this story, as it applies to our lives, right? The father is God, the father. What in our lives, listen, what has God withheld from us that he values? Is there anything in heaven that God enjoys and values that he has not already given us? For God so loved the world he gave his son to us. And there's another way of looking at it. What do we have that the Lord hasn't given us? He's not withheld anything. That's the truth. And everything we have is from him. That's the truth. In bondage to sin, in slavery, in some kind of stronghold, there's always a lie. Find those lies. Shine a light. Call it out. Put it in timeout. The last thing is grace transforms. Remember from last week, grace transformed. In this story, refusing to go out or refusing to go into that party, stay outside and pout, this is a dreadful insult. That's a dreadful insult here and now. In the Middle East, back then, it, it it's beyond actually our ability to understand. That is a shame-based culture. This father is losing face in front of all of his friends because this older son won't come in. And this is God's grace. This is the picture of God's grace. This father goes out to the son. I promise you that party got very quiet. Oh, wait, 
he's having to leave for the older son. And then the father overlooks the insults, overlooks the son's anger, overlooks the son's obvious exaggerations. And he, he says this to the son, my dear son. And that word in Greek is the most endearing word you could use. He's saying, my dear, dear son, always you have been with me. And I've never withheld anything from you. And I would, I would, what would slaughter the fatted calf if you wanted? But I, you've enjoyed my presence. You've enjoyed my love. Now listen, your brother is back. He was lost and now he's found. He was dead, your brother. He is now alive. And so we have to celebrate. And so they do. And the, the, the story of this grace, God's grace in this story, this is the second time in just a few hours in the story. This is the second time in just a, a couple of verses where the father leaves the house to go find a lost son. The first son had gone off to a far-off country. The second son never left home. And in both cases, culturally, the father humiliates himself in this expression of love. In the first case, the son was returning because he had repented. In this case, maybe it was the love of the father would, that would cause him repentance. The problem with the second story, the problem with the older son is this. The pride of life, that stronghold, that bent, by definition, blinds you from the pride of life, seeing the pride of life. The sin blinds you from seeing the sin. The first son, the lust of the eyes and lust of the flesh, oh yeah, <laughs> you can't miss that. But this pride of life, they, they see pride in other people, but they can't see it in the mirror. As a matter of fact, Charles Dickens, when he wrote about writing, and I think he might have been commenting on this particular parable, but he said it's so funny because when he writes stories and, and writes people he knows into the stories, and he'll have friends come up and say, that character was so unrealistic. And Dickens was saying, in his head, was saying, it was written about you. You are that character you think couldn't be real. And that's the problem. That's the problem with pride. It blinds you from seeing pride. This, this, the stronghold keeps you from seeing daylight, and you don't think there's anything else out there. So let me ask you, is it possible that you could be in the stronghold of pride of life? Could it be Think about your history and things you've heard from friends. Could it be that you are in this bondage? This is the bent? This is the reason that you find yourself isolated? This could be your story. But let's do this. Let's hallmark this. Let's, let's make this your story. You're the older son, but now you understand realms two realms. Now you have a different perspective. And you, you're playing this older brother, and you're, you have a godly father, and your younger brother takes off and says to your father, I want what's mine. And they take, he takes his stuff, and he runs to a far-off country and squanders that, and, and you watch the father, God the father's heart break for that for that boy, and you watch your father grieve, and you clench your jaw, and you make your fist, and you entertain that bent of, of pride and ingratitude one more time. Then you go to dinner, and you watch your father bless the meal and cry. You watch him wake up heavy. You watch him slug his way through the day, and maybe two days, maybe two weeks into these evening prayers, you finally come to your senses. You shine the light on your arrogance. You call these lies out for what they are, and you tell them to sit on the curb. 
and your self-righteousness is broken, and then you go to your dad and you say, Dad, I need to confess some things to you, and I need to repent. I'm going to take some time off. I want to go find my little brother. And then you spend time, and you spend all the money you can, and you find that little brother, and you eventually you laying on a mattress on a floor, is emaciated, had bugs and stuff all over him, and you tell him, no, 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 listen, dad's not mad. There's no reason to have shame. He wants you back. Have you come to your senses yet? And your little brother says, yeah, I have. And then you pick him up, and then you bring him back home, and this is how the story ends. And the father sees them. He sees you and the brother at a distance and have compassion for them. And then he runs to them. And then he throws his arms around them. And then he kisses them and he says, get me some robes. Get me some rings. Get me some shoes. Slaughter the fatted calves because what was lost is now found and what was dead is now alive. We must celebrate. That's how the story ends. That's a good story, right? It's a story of three sons. This is a story of three sons. The younger son who runs away after entertaining his lust of the flesh, and the older son who stays and enjoys the servitude of the pride of life, and a third son. This story is based on the life of the third son. It's a true story. It goes like this. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, and he sent him into the brothels and into the churches, And he sent them into the bars and into the seminaries to find all the types of men and women that are lost and in bondage in so many different ways. And he sent them that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. God did not send his son to condemn the world, but so that the world might be saved through him. If you're in a stronghold, if you're in bondage, you can't get out by yourself. Would you, would you consider attending Celebrate Recovery? Maybe re-engage. There's tables in the lobby. You can get information. Would you consider receiving prayer from the, some of the people in our church that are leaders so they can pray over you or with you on, the, on this issue of bondage, on servitude, on being... on being a person that has given away to their bent... And now you're tired, you've come to your senses, and you want to be free. Would you do those things? Would you consider that? We're going to have communion in just a second. It's going to be a fun communion. I want to pray that prayer I prayed last week that I stole from some guy in Florida. Would you pray with that with me? Father, in the name of Jesus and by the authority of Jesus, I'd ask you to deliver my brother, my sister, and myself from the spirits of deceit that you would open our eyes to the lies of the enemy. You'd shine the light on them. We would call them out, and we'd put them where they belong. Lord, I'd ask that in your name, I'd ask that you remove spirits of pride and rebellion, control and manipulation we use because we think we're in control. I'd ask that in the name of Jesus, that you remove spirits of anger and rage and wrath. Remove spirits of resentment and bitterness, unforgiveness, hate and malice and prejudice. By your blood, take away greed and jealousy, envy. Let your spirit remove the spirit of immorality in our lives. It is because of the authority of Jesus that I'd ask that you would remove spirits of insecurity and fear anxiety, self-pity, depression, and even suicide. In the power of Jesus Christ, the spirit that indwells us, break the power of addiction that we have, the controlling feelings, 
repetitious thoughts that are evil and lies. Jesus, I'd ask that you would release us from this Pharisee-like existence where we thrive and entertain pride and self-righteousness, judgment, condemnation towards self and others. Lift from us shame, humiliation, and self-contempt. By the power of the blood of Jesus, Lord, bring healing to every sickness and disease that is a direct result of demonic influence. Lord, bring your spirit, your Holy Spirit, pour it afresh on us. Let it overwhelm this church. Let your Holy Spirit have his way. We need your Holy Spirit to bring comfort and healing here. We need your Holy Spirit to bring power. We need your Holy Spirit to bring authority so that we might live a life of freedom, a life of joy, that our existence would give you glory, that our lives would show the eternal realms who rules our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Did I tell you, did I, do you know, the devil hates you. Satan hates you, you and me. And do you know why? Do you know why the devil hates you? Because of that meal right there. Because of that meal right there. Because this meal is the Lord's table. You guys can start passing out. This is what's called the Lord's table. And the devil hates you because he's jealous of you. He's jealous of me. He's jealous of us because we belong to him. He's jealous of us for so many different reasons. Here's here's a wonderful quote. I want you to see it in writing. It is the image of God reflected in you that so enrages hell. It is this at which the demons hurl their mightiest weapons. Oh, he hates you. And all the demons that serve him hate you as well because they're jealous. We're in the image of God. They're not. And though we are sinners and separated from God, God did something about that. He sent his son. He redeemed us. He didn't do that for any other created thing. And what does that mean? That means he paid for us. He bought us out of the cost of sin. And what was the cost? It was the blood of Jesus Christ. He, the father didn't do that for anyone else. He adopted us as his children of the king. You and I, we're royalty. That's why the devil hates us. He's jealous of our royal standing our identity before God. And if that were not enough, and it would be, and it should be, but it's not, he gives us the Holy Spirit, the third person in the Trinity, to live in our souls, not just for the power of the Spirit, but as proof of a down payment that we will spend eternity with him in glory forever. There's a lot to be jealous of. That's why the devil hates us. He's jealous. He wishes he had what we enjoy. While you wait, you think about that.
On the night he was betrayed, Jesus enjoyed Passover with those he loved. You would have been there if you could have been. This is the ultimate happy meal. This is a happy meal because this is the meal that Jesus tells us to remember this. We belong to him. He paid for us. He said, this is my body. It will be broken. It'll be punished so you won't have to. Take this in memory of me. Let me pray. I pray, these are just verses in the Bible, truth. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with the light so that you can understand and be confident of the hope that's been given to you, all those who have been called, his holy people who are his rich, his rich and glorious inheritance. We are the Lord's inheritance. Let's take that together. You can start passing out the elements. I told you the devil hates you, right? Did I tell you that? Did I tell you why? Because he's jealous. We're his rich and glorious inheritance. Here's another reason he hates you. Here's why he hates me. We get to vote. We get to choose. See, we're in the image of God. And in the image of God, we have freedom. We are free moral agents to vote. And what are we voting for? Who has the right to rule? Who runs this universe? Whose kingdom is it? There's no rogue stars. There's there's no rebellious other created things. Human beings are given a choice. Everything else is doing on earth as it is in heaven, as much as they can in a broken world. But you and I, we get to choose. And because we have the spirit of God in us, when the devil and his demons try to thwart us because of our bent, because of our injuries, the power of the spirit within us has more power. The power that is within us is stronger than the power that is in the world. And so we are, we are free. We are truly free to choose. Have you seen my servant Job? You are that servant. The devil hates us. He hates you. He hates me because we get to say, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in my life as it is in heaven. While we pass around this last element, you think about that. that same night, he took the cup and said, I'm going to make a new covenant, and this is going to be a blood covenant, and this will be my blood, and this will be a covenant that will, that will guarantee 
the Spirit of God written in your heart. And you'll have the power. You'll have the power to show all created things, visible and invisible, who is good and who is God. Let me, let me pray another passage of Scripture that says, I would like for us all to understand the incredible greatness of God's power for all those who believe. The same mighty power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead and seated him in a place of power, a place of honor at the right hand of the Father in the heavenly realm. And God put all things under the authority of Jesus Christ, under his feet. And he made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And that church, hey, that's us. That church is his body. And he's made full and complete in Jesus Christ, that body, that bride, who fills all things everywhere with himself. Amen. Let's drink. It says in the Bible that Jesus said, this Passover meal that's become the Lord's table, okay, don't do this every year anymore. You do this all the time in remembrance of me. Because when you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you'll remember that the Lord Jesus is coming. Do not grow weary in doing good. You're living in two realms. It's a spiritual war, but you will win. You have the power and the authority to win in Jesus Christ. So when life gets long and it seems like the Lord is too patient, when you feel overwhelmed, you come back to this meal and say, look at this. Demons envy all that we've been given. And we have the authority to vote. We have the authority to choose. So let me pray one last prayer if you don't mind. Please join me. Finally, be strong in the Lord in the strength of his might. You put on the full armor that belongs to God so that you can take a stand. You can take a stand. Don't run away. Stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle, our fight here is not against flesh and blood. It's against rulers. It's against authorities in the spiritual realm. It's against powers in the dark world. It's against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So put on the full armor, not your armor, but the armor of God so that you might hold your ground. Be strong. You be courageous. For the Lord says, I will never leave you and I'll never forsake you. In Jesus' name. It just seemed to me that if we're going to do a series on spiritual warfare, knowing how it ends, that we should end that series in a victory anthem. Please stand and cheer with me as we sing this last song together.
is sinking sand on Christ the solid rock I stand I feet are on the rock on Christ the solid rock I stand all of the ground is sinking sand on Christ the solid rock I stand I feet are on the rock on Christ the solid rock I stand all of the ground is sinking